You're listening to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, episode number two. This is another solo episode that I'm gonna be doing by myself, and this is actually a really special episode, and I figured I'd do it kind of in the beginning of my podcast because it is so special. So this episode is actually my own birth story of my son. So if you guys don't know me and you don't follow me on Instagram, first of all, you should. I'm at mommy.labornurse on Instagram, but I do have a two and a half year old son. He's, well, I guess he's getting close to three in February. He will be three and his birth is so special Obviously, it's special because it's my first and only birth so far, but it's so special, especially to Mommy Labor Nurse and my whole brand, because obviously, I don't think I would be here doing this if it wasn't for him. I love to educate you guys, but I really don't think if I had gone through birth myself, not to say that, you know, other people who are out there educating about birth and they don't have kids themselves, you know, that doesn't take anything away from them. But me personally, I feel like if I had not given birth myself and experienced it myself, I probably would not be sitting here talking to you guys and have, you know, this whole business of mommy labor nurse and my Instagram and my blog and now my podcast. I really was so impacted by his birth and my experience when I gave birth that it really influenced, you know, my business now. And I'm not going to get into like the whole why I started Mommy Labor Nurse, how I started Mommy Labor Nurse, all of that, because I feel like that could be, you know, a whole podcast episode probably. But really, you know, at the end of the day, I'm doing this for him and because of him. So I think it's, I think it'd be pretty cool to, you know, really touch on and talk about his birth in depth. So without further ado, let's get started. You're listening to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, where we firmly believe in the power of education when it comes to giving birth. Tune in each week as we dive into pregnancy-related topics, expert interviews, and a variety of birth stories. As a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast is not medical advice. Please see mommylabornurse.com slash disclaimer for more details. And now, here's your host, educator, registered nurse, and fellow mom, Liesl Teen. This week's episode was brought to you by Tushy. And we're going to get real personal here for a second, guys. Let me talk to you guys about this fabulous company who is sponsoring this episode. So when you wipe your butt after you poop with dry toilet paper, it does not remove all of the poop, okay? I think we can all agree on that. If you have poop on any part of your body, your arm, your hands, let's say you just changed your kid's diaper, would you just wipe it off with dry paper? No, you know, you usually go and wash your hands or wash your arm or you take a wipe or something and you wipe off. You don't just use dry paper. Water cleans better than dry paper, my friends. So thankfully, because of Tushy, there is now a sleek bidet attachment that clips onto your existing toilet and sprays your butt completely clean with fresh water. It's called Tushy, and it's the best thing you can do for your butt. Tushy sprays directly to your butt and removes the poop completely so you aren't sitting on bacteria that leads to nasty things like hemorrhoids. I think we can all agree that hemorrhoids suck. If you've had a baby, you've probably had a hemorrhoid. UTIs, itchy butts, and skid marks. Ew. Tushy also saves you money on toilet paper and it won't clog your toilets. 
Tushy sprays your butt with the same water you brush your teeth with. It's not toilet water. Tushy connects to the water supply behind your toilet to spray your dirty parts with clean, fresh water. It's only $79, and they gave me a code, you guys. You can go to hellotushy.com slash MLN and get 10% off of your order. They sent me a tushy, and I've been using my tushy, and, well, I actually look forward to going to the bathroom now because I feel like I can actually really, really clean my butt. Wiping is just totally gross to me now, and my whole pooping experience has completely changed. And let's be honest, you know, everybody loves to save the environment. Toilet paper and wet wipes are ruining the environment. Did you know the average person uses 57 sheets of toilet paper a day and that every roll of toilet paper requires 37 gallons of water to be made? A bidet only uses an average of a pint of water. Stop wiping and start washing. It does not need to cost a zillion dollars to upgrade your bathroom and deserve Instagrammable luxury. Tushy, again, only costs $79 and it changes your life. It has definitely changed my life. I know most of you guys are pregnant listening to this podcast, and of course, Tushy is safe for pregnant and postpartum moms. So if you are at all interested in this fabulous bidet attachment that I now have, go to hellotushy.com slash MLN and get 10% off of your first order. Now let's get into today's episode. All right. Wow. So Walter's birth story, I've talked about this with multiple people, obviously, and I've been on other podcasts and talked about his birth and I've written it down, but I've never actually sat here by myself and really talked about it like in full. So I'm really excited to do this. I mean, I I don't have a script or anything in front of me. I'm just going to be kind of talking from the heart and freestyling. And I have a few notes in front of me just to keep myself on track. But let's start from the very beginning of my pregnancy and kind of going back to when I found out I was pregnant with Walter. So this was 2016, May of 2016, that, yes, it was May of 2016 when I found out I was pregnant with him. And let's go back even a little bit before that, when we kind of knew that we wanted to start trying for a baby. So I was at a New Year's Day party with some of our friends that host a New Year's Day party instead of a New Year's Eve party, which side note, if you don't do that, you probably should start. New Year's Eve is way overrated and I hate celebrating New Year's Eve. I love celebrating New Year's Day. Anyways, I was at a New Year's Day party that year in 2016 and I just kind of looked at my husband we were celebrating, you know, hanging out with a bunch of friends. And I was like, you know what? I think we should have a baby this year. I think I'm ready. Like, I think this is the year that I'm going to get pregnant. And, you know, this is our time. And he agreed. We had been married for a little over two years. That At that point, we had been together for, oh gosh, seven years at that point. Because I think we were dating. Yeah, we had been together seven years at that point and married two years. And we had kind of taken our sweet time. My husband, if you don't know, you probably, why would you know? (laughs) He's quite a bit older than I am. So he's about seven and a half years older than I am. So right now I'm 30 and he is, actually tomorrow is his 38th birthday. So we were kind of taking our sweet time on 
having a kid, but with our age difference, I, I feel like that kind of made a difference too, because I don't know, maybe we would have gotten married sooner into our relationship if I wasn't so much younger than him. I don't know. It was just the right time. Anyways, that's side story. Sorry. <laughs> so we decided that we wanted to, you know, start trying for a baby in the year of 2000, beginning of the year of 2016. And another thing you might know about me, if you follow me, I go, we go to Vegas every single year in May. My husband has a conference out in Las Vegas every year for his work. And so he goes out there every year for work and I just kind of tag along for not work. <laughs> so we, and I've gone every single year, except I missed two years now because I have Walter. I missed that first year after he was born and then the next year I couldn't go. But I had been every year up until that point, you know, in 2016. And I said to him, I was like, okay, Brian, you know, let's do this, but I want to go to Vegas. <laughs> We're not going to start trying, you know, until we go to Vegas in May. And he was like, that's fine. You know, because who wants to be pregnant, especially in your first trimester in Vegas? That sucks. So that's exactly what we did. We went to Vegas in May and had a great time. And I'm pretty sure that we conceived my son in Vegas or maybe shortly after. We were able to thankfully have no issues with infertility with him. And I came back from Vegas and about two weeks later, I found out I was pregnant. So let me take you to that day that I found out I was pregnant with Walter. And honestly, it was so surreal. I took that test and I was working night shift at the time. I remember it was like a Tuesday and I had woken up for my shift and it was a few days even before I was supposed to miss my period. And I didn't, I had a feeling, but you know, I'd taken plenty of pregnancy tests in my life because I'm just weird like that and I have anxiety. <laughs> so I knew how to take one, but I had never obviously had a positive one before. So I took one and yeah, it came back positive. I remember sitting there at the toilet and like just, I'd just taken it and seeing like, you know, you see the pee kind of cross the little uh, window and I saw the control line come up and I probably gave it 30 seconds and I didn't really see anything, uh, anything else come up because I was early, right? It wasn't going to be a super crazy fast uh, positive pregnancy test. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm not pregnant. It's fine. So I put it down and I got up and, you know, washed my hands. And then I looked back at it. It was probably a minute and a half or two minutes later. And I saw like the faintest tiny little line. And I was like, holy crap, are you kidding me? And I didn't cry. I didn't like scream. My heart just started beating really, really fast. And I just it was like the craziest moment. And I mean, I love it. I remember it so vividly, but it was, I was just, I couldn't believe it. So my heart was beating so fast and it was, you know, I was supposed to go into work this night and it was probably about 4 PM or 4 30 PM. And my husband was home, but he was on a conference call at the time. So I remember I was in our master bathroom and I had taken this test and I didn't tell him that I was going to take it or anything. I just kind of took it. And I didn't want to go out and bust out during his conference call and be like, oh my God, look, blah, blah, blah. I didn't want to ruin his, his conference call. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to wait in my room until he's finished. And then I'm going to go out and tell him. 
And no lie, guys, it was 45 minutes that I was sitting in there because this damn conference call was so long. (laughs) So I was just sitting in there going crazy. I had this positive pregnancy test and I like can't do anything about it. So he finally gets done. I go out there and I am shaking. I like can't even speak and I show it to him. And he was like, no, he was like this. And he looked at it in the light. He was like, it's too light. He was like, it's not it's too light of a line. I was like, no, Brian. I was like, you Google it. If there's any sort of line on a pregnancy test, it is positive. And so he totally didn't believe me that it was positive. He, you know, he had it. I mean, he did believe me, but he just was very skeptical because the line was so, so faint. And he was like, okay, Liesl, go out and get one of those digital tests that say yes or no. And then, okay. And then I'll like start to wrap my head around this. So I was like, okay, that's fine. I was going to do that anyway, but okay. So (laughs) I went to work that night. There was one friend that I had and she, and I had told her and she had kind of known that we were trying and I told her, you know, what had happened, blah, blah, blah. And so we worked all night and I came home in the morning. I stopped at CVS and got one, another pregnancy test and I took it and sure enough, you know, the little digital thing came up and it said yes. And so finally, Brian was like, okay, (laughs) okay, this is real. And so at that point, obviously I was very early. It was a few days even before my missed period. And my pregnancy, let's get into, you know, how my pregnancy was before I talk about his birth. So my pregnancy was pretty good. I really, really enjoyed pregnancy. I think I was just one of those people that really, really tried to enjoy every single minute. I did have some morning sickness and kind of all day sickness in the first trimester. And mine honestly kind of peaked at like 12 or 13, even going towards 14 weeks. I remember it being really bad at the end of my first trimester, but I didn't throw up a lot. I just kind of felt sick the entire time. And, you know, that sucked, but I was pregnant and I was so excited that I was pregnant. And I was like, you know what? It sucks being sick, but this is just so cool. So the only kind of scary thing that happened during my pregnancy was I did have quite a bit of bleeding in the first trimester. I had what was called a subchorionic hematoma slash hemorrhage because <laughs> I did have bleeding. And they saw this on my seven-week ultrasound when I went in for my very first appointment. They saw this on my ultrasound, and I had already kind of had some brown spotting before that appointment, and they confirmed that, oh, you know, it's definitely not a miscarriage. It's just this stupid little subforionic hematoma, you know, not harmful at all. So at seven weeks, I had a little bit of that bleeding, and that was not scary because we had kind of caught it at the same time when I went to that ultrasound. And then at about 13 weeks, I was, I remember it was the last day of my 13th week. I was 13 and 13 weeks and six days, and Again, I had just come home from night shift. I was just getting to lay down in the bed to go to sleep and I felt like a gush come out. And it was weird because that day at work, I think I worked antepartum and I and we had had some patients come in like quite frequently who had broken their waters early and had, who had had early losses. And so immediately I thought that I was 13 weeks and like my water had just broken and I was getting ready to like lose my baby. I didn't even think for a second that it would be blood. Like I, I mean, obviously I just worked night shift. I was really, really tired and I just thought, oh my gosh, like I've, my water just broke. 
And so I'm like laying in the bed, like freaking out for a second. And then I stand up and I realize that it's blood and it's like a lot of blood in my bed, like a big puddle of blood. And it looked pretty red to me. When I went in for evaluation, they said it was more of a rusty color. So I get up and there's all this blood on my mattress and on me. And I'm like freaking out. I'm like, Brian was home, thankfully, at that point. And I'm like, oh my God, babe, like what is going on? I feel like I'm I'm miscarrying. Obviously, there's all this blood. That's my first thought. I wasn't having any cramping. I, you know, wasn't having really any other symptoms but the blood. And so at this point, it was about eight o'clock because, you know, I just worked night shift. So my office, thankfully, was open and it was a weekday. So I called them, we rushed in and we got evaluated. And I'm sobbing. I'm a complete mess, you know, the whole ride to the doctor's office. So we get there and they immediately get me back and do a Doppler on my stomach and everything was fine. You know, his heart rate was, it came up immediately and I was like, oh God, and I just started crying even more because I was so relieved. And, you know, at 13 weeks, I didn't really have any movement or anything. It's so scary when you have bleeding that early, you know, even earlier than 13 weeks, if you do, because you don't have any movement, you can't have any reassurance that your baby is okay. And so I was just, I was so happy that everything was okay, obviously. So after they did the Doppler, they did a pelvic exam just to examine, you know, my cervix and the blood that was inside my vagina. And she said, yeah, it looks, you know, it doesn't look fresh and it's not actively bleeding, but it is kind of a rusty color. So it's probably a little bit old. So they also took me back for an ultrasound then to check and see if it was another one of those subchorionic hematomas, which of course it was. And thankfully at this point, this was the last one that I experienced. They put me on pelvic rest for a little while, which basically means nothing in your vagina. So no sex, no, obviously you wouldn't put a tampon in there, but you know, basically no sex. So we did the pelvic rest until the bleeding stopped. And it was probably a good two weeks that I still continued to have a little bit of spotting and a little bit of brown bleeding. So we did the pelvic rest until then. And then after that, pretty much everything was fine. I went to my 18, I think it was 18 weeks. I had my anatomy scan And we, I don't know if you know this about me, maybe you don't, maybe you're learning this for the first time, but we didn't know if Walter was going to be a boy or a girl and we chose that. So at the anatomy scan, when we went, we were like very adamant, don't tell us if it's a boy or a girl, we want to be surprised. And they were very good about that. But we checked on baby and he was completely fine in there. Super, super happy. No issues, you know, from the bleeding or anything. He was bouncing around doing great. So then going into, you know, latter parts of my second trimester, my third trimester, everything was going great. I had a really, like I said, I had a really, really great pregnancy. I worked up until the day that I gave birth. I was actually supposed to work the night that I gave birth, but I didn't, you know, I called out, obviously, (laughs) but I worked throughout. I didn't really have any restrictions. You know, it was great. I cannot complain about the pregnancy that I had with him. All right, so let's get into his actual birth story and the days kind of leading up to that. So I had throughout my pregnancy gotten really interested in going natural. And when I say natural, I just mean without an epidural. I wanted to try and avoid an epidural if at all possible. So I did a bunch of research. I listened to a bunch of birth stories and talked to a bunch of people, read a bunch of books 
And I, you know, that was my thing. I really wanted to try and go without an epidural. So I got myself really, really excited to give birth and conquer, you know, this experience of not having an epidural. So my due date came, you know, I tried to do a bunch of things kind of before my due date to get myself into labor. Not a whole lot of stuff was working, obviously. And it was probably two days past my due date. And I got it in my head that I was going to try and do as many things as I possibly could in one day to get myself in labor. So I woke up that morning. It was a Saturday, I remember. I woke up that morning and I went and I walked around the mall for two or three hours, you know, power walked around the mall, really, really got my baby to bounce up and down on my cervix while I was walking. And then after I did my super long walk, I took myself to see a reflexologist. And if you don't know what that is, it's basically like a really intense foot massage. So I went to this place near my house and I got this reflexology done and it was great. I mean, it was very, very relaxing and they pushed on all these points in my feet to try and get me into labor. So I did that. I wasn't, you know, having contractions or anything at this point. So I did that. And then I went to the store and I bought a whole pineapple (laughs) and I cut it up and I ate, I didn't eat the whole pineapple, but I ate as much as I could. And the thing with pineapple, you know, all of these things that I did, obviously there's nothing other than Pitocin (laughs) that is really going to get you into labor other than your body being ready to go into labor and your baby being ready to go into labor. But you can still try and do all of these things to kind of encourage your body to go into labor. So the thing with pineapple is you're actually supposed to eat the core of the pineapple, which is kind of gross, but you're supposed to get a whole pineapple and eat the core part. So a lot of people don't realize that and they say, oh, I ate a bunch of pineapple, didn't do anything. But they don't, they get canned pineapple or, you know, just cut up pineapple from the store. But no, you're actually supposed to get a whole one and eat part of the core because there is a chemical, and I, I'm probably pronouncing this wrong, but it's called bromelain, I believe. And bromelain is a chemical that is thought to soften your cervix and cause uterine cramping when you're pregnant. So you can do it, you know, towards your due date to try and get yourself into labor. So I did my pineapple, I had seen my reflexologist, and I walked around and then I came home and I did some more bouncing with baby bouncing up on my cervix and I sat on my yoga ball for a good couple hours and I think I watched Friends for a while just sitting on my yoga ball. And then after sitting on my yoga ball, this was probably about dinner time, we went to go get dinner together at a place down the road and they had these super extra spicy jalapeno poppers that were fresh jalapeno poppers. So I got those jalapeno poppers and I ate as many as I could. I couldn't eat them all because, ooh, they were hot. but I ate a bunch of spicy jalapeno poppers to kind of close out the day. And then we came home and we had sex. (laughs) And I think everyone knows that one, that sex is one of those methods that even a lot of providers will say, hey, try and, you know, have sex to encourage contractions because sex is thought to induce labor in a few ways. So first off, sex with or without an orgasm, increases uterine activity. So it gets things going in your uterus, whether or not you're pregnant. (laughs) Second, 
Semen, if you have sex with a male partner, is a natural source of prostaglandins, which are hormone-like substances that are responsible for helping to change your cervix during labor. So when we talk about prostaglandins, a prostaglandin that we frequently use during labor to induce people is called cytotec. And, you know, a natural source of prostaglandin is semen. And so the last reason why sex is good to get things going is nipple stimulation. So nipple stimulation releases oxytocin, which is the chemical responsible for causing uterine contractions during labor. So that is my whole little spiel about sex. (laughs) So we had sex and it was probably, gosh, I don't even know. I worked night shift, so my sleeping schedule was all off. So I think it was probably two in the morning by the time I went to bed. And I remember going to bed and I didn't, you know how you go to bed when you're nine months pregnant and sometimes you don't really sleep. You just kind of lay there and you close your eyes and you think that you're asleep, but you're not really asleep. That was the kind of night that I had that night. I was just kind of not really like fully asleep the whole night. And I remember I was just kind of crampy the whole night. I wasn't really having full-blown contractions yet, but I was just crampy. And then at one point, I guess I fell asleep because I do remember waking up and it was 7.30 in the morning and I had my very first contraction that I knew was a labor contraction, not a Braxton Hicks, not a false contraction, not a cramp. It was definitely, whoa, I just woke up and okay, today is code day. So being the nice wife that I was. It was 7.30 in the morning and I timed my contractions for a little while just to kind of see how close they were. And they weren't close at all. They were seven or eight minutes apart. And being the nice wife that I was, I let my husband sleep in because I figured, okay, I know I'm not getting any sleep. He might as well get some sleep before we head to the hospital. So I got up And I think I took a bath, I took a shower, I vacuumed upstairs, I folded some laundry, I tried to do as many things as I could to keep myself busy and just basically stall myself (laughs) until it was ready to go. So I had called my doctor at this point who was on call and it was a Sunday, mind you. So I called her and I let her know what was going on and she knew that I wanted to try and avoid an epidural. So she was very like, okay, you know, no, no worries, you know, try and stay home as long as you can, unless your water breaks or something. And I was still intact at this point. So I called my doctor, called out of work because I was supposed to work that night And yeah, just kind of kept myself busy until my husband woke up. And it was probably 10 when Brian finally woke up. And so I'd been in labor for two and a half hours at this point and just kind of running around doing stuff and taking a bath and trying to keep myself busy. So he finally woke up and he opened his eyes. Remember, I was like right next to him. He opened his eyes and I was like, hey, babe. Uh, so I'm having contractions, like we're going to have the baby today. And his eyes about popped out of his head. He was like, oh my God, are you serious? <laughs> and so I was just calm, like, yep, yep, that's what's going on. And so of course, then he gets up and he's like me that he's 
doing a bunch of stuff to try and keep himself busy. (laughs) So we're both running around now. And at this point, I kind of got tired. You know, I kind of was tiring myself out. So I decided to try and rest as much as I could, get in the bed, do a bunch of position changes with pillows and try and get myself comfortable. I think I at one point took another bath, took a shower. I just really focused on resting at this point because my contractions, unfortunately, were not getting that close together. They were increasing a little bit intensity and getting a little bit closer, but I would have a contraction, you know, every four minutes, five minutes, and then three minutes and two minutes, and I wouldn't have one for like seven minutes or something. So it was very odd to me. And so I was just at this point like, okay, you know what? I might be in this for another good amount of time. So let me just rest as much as I possibly can. And so it was probably the afternoon at this point. My contractions were, again, starting to increase, but not really. So I was just trying to keep comfortable. And I think I ate a little bit at this point. I was trying to keep myself as hydrated as possible. And I ate some rice, I think, and some crackers. I really just felt, I remember feeling so nauseous during the day that I really just could not even think about a whole lot of food, but I did know that I wanted to eat something so I could just at least keep my energy level up. So I did eat some rice and crackers, I believe. So at this point, I had eaten, I'm still trying to kind of get comfortable. And I had texted a coworker that I had worked with. And at this point, it was probably about 4 p.m., and I was still laboring, I was still trying to stay comfortable. And I had texted one of my coworkers who I knew was working that night, a good friend of mine, and let her know that I was in labor. And I asked her if she could actually come over to my house. And I asked her actually if she could come over to my house like on the way to work and check me because I knew that was probably gonna be about like 6 p.m. or something. So I, I didn't think I you know, was going to head up to the hospital within the next couple hours. So I had texted her. She was like, yeah, no problem. I had honestly tried to check myself in labor. I had brought home a couple of sterile gloves from work and tried to check myself just to check my cervix to see what my progress was. But I could not. I tried in a bunch of different positions, but I could not because I was genuinely very curious to know, but I just could not bend that way. And this is not me encouraging you to check yourself during labor, but you know, I did. (laughs) I'm not going to say that I didn't. I tried. Before that point, I had been checked in the office and I was only about one to two centimeters. So I really just wanted to get checked to see if I was still that one to two centimeters. And this was maybe like false labor or something and it was just going to go away or if it was really bad prodromal labor, or maybe if I was at like four or five centimeters, I just, I felt like I had no clue and I wanted a baseline. So I texted her, she was happy to come over. She came over and checked me. It was about 6 p.m. And I was four centimeters at this point. And she said I was four centimeters and 60% of face and like minus one station. So I was really, really happy with that check because that meant that if I went up to my hospital, they would admit me. No big deal. I was four centimeters. I could stay. And so at this point, 
I knew that I still wanted to hang out as long as I possibly could. I wasn't planning on going up to the hospital at that point, but I just knew in my head that I could if I wanted to. So it was probably another few hours. I sat on my ball for a while. I tried to do some more position changes. Another thing that was going on throughout this whole time was that I had terrible, terrible back labor. It was awful. <laughs> like it was almost all in the back. I, I barely had any pain in the front. And that was really messing with me because I knew that my baby was probably posterior and that was just completely throwing off my game. I was so worried about that and trying so many things to get him to flip around. So I was just really anxious going in to that and going into labor knowing that he was posterior because I was having all this back pain. And I know now that I was obsessing over it. And if I could go back, I would just try and tell myself to chill out. It's fine. It's going to be fine. Even if you do have an OP baby that comes out OP, it's going to be fine. But I was just, I remember being so anxious about that because I had just had a girl in labor like a week before or a few weeks before, and she had an OP baby and she ended up having a C-section. She got an epidural, you know, late in the game and she ended up having a C-section. And so I was just, I remember thinking about that patient and I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be me. Like I'm going to wind up getting to the hospital and have this crazy long labor, get an epidural at the end and then push forever and end up having a C-section. And that's honestly what I was afraid of. Wondering what you need to do to stay on track during each week of pregnancy? Not sure what you need to be learning or researching along the way? I can help. Sign up for our free weekly pregnancy series to get tips, advice, and resources tailored to your exact week of pregnancy sent straight to your inbox every week. Sign up at mommylabornurse.com slash I am pregnant to get your first email today. See you in your inbox real soon. So aside from all that, we'll come back to that later. My friend comes over and checks me. She goes to work and then I'm hanging out at home for a while. And finally, Brian is just, you know, anxious and kind of bugging me and just like, you know, like he wasn't telling me that we need to go up to the hospital, but I just was like, you know what? I think it's time we go. <laughs> so we finally got in the car. It was probably nine or so when we left our house and got up to the hospital because I honestly, I live like five minutes from the hospital, which is really, really nice. So we hopped in the car, got to the hospital. And my doctor who I had spoken with on the phone earlier was there and she checked me in triage and I was five centimeters dilated, 80% effaced. And I think I was still minus one or zero. I can't remember. And my bag of water was bulging. It was still intact, but it was really bulging. She said, very easy to break if I wanted it to be broken. And so I was happy with that change. That was really normal labor progression for a first-time mom. So I was four centimeters at like 6 p.m. and then five centimeters at, you know, 9 p.m. So I, I honestly was happy with that. And my cervix was a little bit more thinned out. So I told her, I was like, you know what? I think I just need to get my water broken. I think that's what I need to really get this to go along. Because at this point, I had been in labor for, you know, 14 hours and 
it wasn't so fun. I was kind of doubting that this was going to happen, even though I knew it was going to happen. But (laughs) I was like, okay, let's get this show on the road, break my water, and let's have a baby. So she did. And it was clear fluid. And then my contractions got way worse and my back pain got way, way worse. So my nurse that took care of me, her name is Beth, and I love her. And she encouraged me to get in the shower and do a bunch of position changes. And I was doing great. I mean, I was probably, it was probably a couple hours that had gone by where I was just kind of doing, well, maybe it was only an hour and a half that had gone by where I was just doing position changes and getting in and out of the shower and trying to deal with this back pain. And then one other thing I did want to add too was I had a doula that showed up at about that time. She was not a professional doula, but she was another one of my coworkers who was not working. (laughs) So she came in to be with me. Her name was Nicole. So she was there to help me too. And that was fabulous. I'm so happy that she was there because she helped me so much. So I was doing the position changes. I was doing the shower. I was doing the birthing ball. And then it was probably about 11 p.m. ish. You know, my times get a little bit off, but it was probably about 11 p.m. And I wanted Beth to check me because I was just hurting so badly. And I was like, you know what? I just need something. I'm not ready for an epidural at this point, but I was like, I just want to know where I'm at so we can kind of gauge and what I can do at this point. So Beth checked me and I think I was six centimeters dilated, like 90 to 100% of face and zero station. And so I said, okay, great let's try to do some nitrous oxide. (laughs) And our hospital had actually just got this instituted in our hospital. So I really honestly wanted to try it because of that, because we had just gotten it. So she got all this nitrous oxide set up for me. And I probably used it for five minutes. No lie. I felt so bad. I used it for five minutes and I hated it because it is this big mask, at least at our hospital. I'm pretty sure this is how it is most places, but it's a big mask that goes on your face. And I just felt like I couldn't breathe. I was doing so good breathing with my contractions. And then you would have this mask over my face with the nitrous oxide. And I felt like I just could not breathe through my contractions. So, you know, I tried the nitrous oxide for a few minutes and I was like, no, I can't do this. So I trashed it. I got rid of it. I did a few more position changes. Maybe I hopped in the shower again. I can't exactly remember. Finally, I was like, I need some fentanyl. (laughs) I need some IV pain medicine. So this was probably 30 minutes later, 45 minutes later. Let's call it 1145. And I got the IV pain medication. I got fentanyl. That's what our hospital uses. Many hospitals use different types of medication, but that is a common one that people are using nowadays because it leaves it it works very quickly and it leaves your body very quickly so it's very safe so we did fentanyl and beth and i had beth check me again right before i got fentanyl and i was seven centimeters at this point so i was like okay i'm good let's do the fentanyl i need to relax so i got the fentanyl and that was exactly what i needed guys i just needed a little break to relax in between my contractions because That was honestly my problem is I could not relax, especially in between contractions. Like I couldn't relax during contractions, but I really couldn't even relax in between contractions. So this fentanyl allowed me to at least relax in the bed 
and take a breather in between those contractions. And I honestly think it was the best thing because it did make me progress too. And I just remember so vividly getting this fentanyl and just being in the bed and Beth, God bless her. She was so sweet. I just remember her sitting next to me. It like almost makes me cry thinking about it because it was so sweet. I just remember her sitting next to me and like having my hand and just kind of petting my hand and just telling me like sweet nothings, like very, very calm, calm words. And I just loved that. And I was just like, oh gosh, this is exactly what I need right now. So flash forward, the fentanyl wore off. It was an hour and a half-ish later, and the fentanyl had worn off. I was really starting to hurt again, and I told Beth, I was like, okay, let's check again just to see what I am, and then let's try and get another dose of fentanyl because I had made it that hour. You're supposed to You're supposed to wait two hours in between for most places, but our hospital has a policy that you can ask the provider if you can have another dose of fentanyl after an hour. So it was, you know, probably an hour and a half, an hour, 45 minutes later, and my first dose had completely worn off. And I was like, oh, I just need, I need another dose. I need that first, you know, feeling when I first get the fentanyl again, because I need to relax. (laughs) So she checked me and I was like eight to nine centimeters And she was like, okay, you know, I'll ask the provider, see if you can get fentanyl. And she was like, yeah, that's fine. You can give her another dose. And so I got another dose. And unfortunately, it only lasted about 15 minutes. And that is common when you first get a dose of IV pain medication. It works great on the first dose. And then the second dose, not so much. And that's exactly what happened to me. And so 15 minutes later, I am hurting more than ever. I am dying at this point. And my back labor is so, so intense still. And I'm just like, oh my God, Beth, I cannot do this anymore. This is torture. I'm going to die. And so she was like, as she checked me and I was nine and a half centimeters. And she was like, you are almost done. Like you can do this, Liesl. You, this is what you, I'm screaming for an epidural at this point. I'm like, I can't do this anymore. I can't push out. My baby's OP. And so she was like, no, you can do this. It's going to be okay. I will get you through it. You can do it. And so at this point, you know, I'm going crazy. I'm going to call it about 2 a.m. because he was born at 3 a.m. on the dot. So it was probably about 2 a.m. at this point. I was nine and a half centimeters. I was trying everything to get that last little bit of centimeter to go away. So she suggested, because I was, you know, nine and a half, I just had a little bit of cervix left. She suggested, because she did think that he was OP at this point still. So she suggested that we get on hands and knees and start pushing a little bit to see if we can get that little bit of cervix to go away and for his head to come down just, just a little bit. So we did. I got on my hands and knees and I pushed as much as I could. And no lie, that pain of pushing on my hands and knees when I was nine and a half centimeters was the worst part of my whole labor. I, it was agonizing. I just, I couldn't take it. I was trying so, so hard, but I just, I could not do it. Or I felt like I couldn't do it. I was doing it and she was coaching me through it. And finally, what ended up happening was I was pushing on my hands and knees and his head finally made that last turn. And then I got an overwhelming urge to push. And I was like, screw this hands and knees. I am not doing any- this anymore. So I flipped on my back and I pushed on my back for about 20 minutes and he was born. 
So in these last few minutes before he was born, Beth is calling my provider. She called another nurse to come in. It was actually the nurse who had checked me at my house. She was working triage and she came in to be in for my birth. So everybody was there. I remember looking at the clock right at 3 a.m. and saying, I am going to do this with this next contraction because I cannot do this anymore. So I looked at the clock and I pushed as hard as I possibly could and he was born. I looked at his head and his body as he was coming out and I remember in that split second, I was like, oh my God, I'm so excited because we didn't know if he was a boy or a girl at this point. I was so excited to know. It's like, oh my God, I'm about to find out. And then he came out and it was, you know, apparent that he was a boy. And my husband was like, it's a boy. And I'm like, it's a boy. And I'm crying. I'm going nuts. And I was just so happy and so proud of myself and just so empowered after that happened because I did it. I had prepared myself so much for this birth and going into it knowing that I really did not want to get an epidural and I was able to do that. And I just remember feeling like superwoman. Like there is no, nothing I can compare that feeling to. It almost, I almost felt like I was high. Like I was just so full of, I guess, adrenaline and oxytocin. And just, I felt so, so, so good right after he was born. It's so interesting when I look back at this because going through labor myself has actually completely changed the way that I practice as a labor and delivery nurse. I feel like I can truly empathize with my patients on a level that I really never thought that I could before. And I just really value my job on a deeper level. I really felt what role Beth played for me and how I felt like I truly could not get through that without her. I mean, in every stage of my labor, I felt like, you know, especially towards the end when I was like, I can't do this. I felt like I really could not get through it without her. And I really realized that my job is so much more than I thought it was. You know, supporting a woman as she becomes a mom is such a special gift to me. And that's what it made me realize. And it really took me having my own baby to realize this impact that I have as a labor and delivery nurse. So I am so proud to call myself an l nurse. I hope you have enjoyed this birth story. I feel like I'm about to cry because I haven't told it all in one setting before like this. But yeah, that is my birth story of Walter. He is two and a half now. He's going to be three in February. And yeah, I feel like I remember that day so vividly in my mind, and I hope that I always do. I hope that my story has empowered you and gotten you excited. If you are pregnant and you are waiting for your delivery, I hope that it's gotten you a little bit more excited about what's to come. I cannot wait until I have more birth stories on here and more people telling their stories because I'm a big fan of birth stories. I think they are empowering and they teach. And even the traumatic ones, even the ones that don't go as planned, I think you really have so, there really is such a huge value in listening to other people tell about the day that they gave birth. So that is the end of this episode. Thank you so much, guys, for listening to the end of this My birth story obviously is very personal and very, very near and dear to my heart. So I appreciate each and every one of you for listening in. 
right. So that is it for this episode of the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast. You probably follow me on Instagram because that's probably where you came from. But if you don't, please head over to Instagram and follow me at mommy.labornurse for more. That is certainly where I am most active. I want to hear from you on how much you enjoyed this episode of the podcast or how much you hated it. All right. I will see you same time, same place next week.